This is bourbonblog.com. All right, it is the quarantine drinking team series, and I'm here with my good friend Richard Patterson joining us live from Scotland. He is the master blender of White and Mackay and the master distiller of the Dalmore. You know who this guy is. He's one of my favorite gentlemen in the business. How are you, Richard? I'm fantastic. Are you keeping all right over there? We're doing we're doing well. We appreciate you joining us from Scotland. And uh, you know, I've I really I met you early on in my uh, career of whiskey with Bourbon Blog, and we even had I think we even had a lesson on on nosing uh, back in New Orleans. We we actually we did a video together many years ago, and in fact, it was something you beat me on because uh, we said uh, here's the Dalmore King Alexander. And I said, well, you've got to keep it in your mouth for at least, uh, at that time, at least one minute. And I think you kept it in your mouth for about four and a half minutes. And when you came to drink it, swallow it, you were expecting it to be perhaps a little bit strong. And because you soften up with that length, it just went over like silk. And <laughs> your face just revealed everything. It did. It did. We, you've always said, well, that's what I love. And we'll have to put, we'll have to post that on Bourbon Blog again so everybody can see it. But uh, we did. It was a fun video on the nosing. The hello. How do you do it? Show us. It's the hello. How are you? Right. It's, it's you pick up the glass and you say, hello. How are you? Hmm. Quite well. Thank you very much. I, I, I love how this guy talks to his whiskey and the whiskey talks back sometimes. Right. I said, but you've got to give it time. All this knocking it back, like some of you guys over there, is not really so good. It's about literally holding it top of the tongue, underneath, back in the middle for at least 20 seconds. So you've got to dip, give it give it time, give it patience. Just like the maturation of our whiskey, you've got to give it the same length of time. Give it time. So if it's about 10 years old, hold it for at least 10. If it's 15. 10 seconds. Yeah, ten se- at yeah. least 10 seconds. But How did you come to discover that was the way to do it? I mean, you obviously you've been at this for a while. How did you find that, hey, this is the way to do it? Because because a lot of people, you know, I used to, when I first came to America in, in the sort of 80s, a lot of people were knocking it back. And I used to say to them, hey, guys, uh, have you tasted it? And they went, yeah, I've just knocked it back. I said, no, no, have you really tasted it? You've really got to make full use of your tongue. And, you know, a lot of people, when they did it in the top of the tongue, underneath and back in the middle, suddenly they said, now I know what you mean. I said, well, you've got to take your time. The longer you take, the more you extract from the whiskey itself. It's like great food. You don't just knock the food back. You chew it. The longer you chew it, the more you extract the flavors. Well, it's the same with single malt whiskey, blending whiskey. Give it time and you'll get the reward. But once you've hit it first, always go back to the second time. Second taste is the most important to really see what the whiskey is trying to reveal. You got to prime the palate to get it ready for that next flavor, right? Yeah. Have you ever had a whiskey that you, on the first taste, you're like, I don't know about this. And then the more you get into it, you like it better. Does that happen sometimes with you? Yeah, because remember, whiskey is a living person. It's like getting to know somebody. You, The more you talk to them, the more the personality comes out, the more you like them. And sometimes people are a little bit hidden with their character, their personality. Well, it's exactly the same with a whiskey. So you've got to really, you know, get to know it. And then sometimes it will reveal other things. But that's the sort of excitement about the whiskey because 
when we lay down whiskies of Dalmore 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, when you get into the 40, 45s, the 60s, even, you know, the, the 50s and 51 more recently, you know, you find out nuances that perhaps you've not seen before. But because they're older, like your grandmother, your grandfather, you don't kick them around. You've got to give them time and therefore they will express themselves in their own particular time. Absolutely. No, and, and they and they really do. What Do you remember a whiskey that you, in your history, that and not a Dalmore whiskey, maybe someone else's that you uh, originally didn't like and then you were like, wait a minute, I do like this. Was there one that you can recall that you... Uh, well, not not too many because uh, <laughs> even, even you know, with some of our Juras, Fedekins, Tamna Vulans, uh, right. they, they, they sometimes took a little bit of time to reveal themselves. But, right. you know, quite often... If you take bottles and you've had it in your cabinet for a long time, you know, you need to aerate these whiskies. You need to put it in the glass, swirl it around. Don't just take yeah. it out of the cabinet. You haven't had a drink for, you know, maybe six months or what have you, which is pretty unusual for you guys. But right. um, anyway, you know, uh, especially you, Tom. Right. So, you know, I, I've done that myself. I've gone into my cabinet. I've said, oh, I haven't tasted this for some time. And, you know, the vacuity in the bottle is perhaps a little bit larger than normal. Well, once I pour it into the whiskey glass, I tend to swirl it around, get the air to it, and then, you know, almost chambre it, and then you find it opens up. But it doesn't reveal itself immediately. You've got to give it time in the glass, and then things begin, begin to change. Absolutely. What we're tasting right now here is the, the Dalmore 18, Tasting right. some of the Dalmore 18. Tell us about uh, we'll take we'll take a taste of this, then we'll talk about what's been happening in the world. But let's let's first of all start with a toast here. Uh, Richard, cheers. It's so good to see you, my friend. Cheers to you too. I just I'm so glad that I happen to have a, a bottle of the Dalmore 18 uh, with me. So it, it's very good. But this is this is finished in you know Methuselah Sherry. This is right. a minimum of 18 years, going to 18 to 21 but finished in what we have a, a long, uh, up to nearly three years in Methuselah Sherry, which is, of course, from Gonzalez Bias. This is uh, 30 years old minimum, 75% Palomino Fino, 25%, uh, uh, you know, 75% Palomino Fino, 25% uh, Pedro Jimenez. So 127 grams of sugar per liter gives us the style. But when you're looking at this immediately, what you're going to see is that old English marmalade and that lovely uh, licorice, uh, you know, bit of chocolate towards the end, but still yeah. that orange bit of chocolate, which is so typical of the DNA of Dalmore. This is coming in at 43%. So again, because it's 43, as opposed to other whiskies that are 44, then you're going to just have it a little bit longer on the palate. So a big slangeva to you, uh, Tom. Nice to see you again. You too. I let it go over. Ten, nine, eight. Wow. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. And then that, that lovely chocolate orange, but you're going to see the licorice and the marzipan. And then what you'll also see, because of the age of it, you'll see wow. hints of uh, balsamic as well. little balsamic. So that does make a big difference. And I'm glad 
I'm chatting with you today because I do like keeping whiskey in my mouth for a while, but it's so important that we remind ourselves that that's part of the reason whiskey has been aging for so long. Let it do its thing in the in in the mouth with the taste buds. Uh, that's incredible because it did kind of have this once I swallowed it. Do you take a deep breath after you swallow it? Is that what happens? Yeah. After it happens, it goes down. You get the impact of it. But then giving it that time just to rest just opens it a bit more. So that's why if you take it with a bit of chocolate, um, mm. you know, afterwards with a, a, a black coffee, Nicaragua Java coffee, it, it, you know, that helps to just accentuate it. And if you want to go a little bit further, go out into your desk and take out these Cuban cigars. I know you've got them there, Tom. but I do. Anyway, I have them not too far away. <laughs> don't tell anybody now. But if you go in there and smoke these very slowly with something like the Dalmore, it really helps to bring these flavors because the, the tobacco flavors of the, the pepper, the cinnamon, the spice, and these deep orange notes can be once again found in the coffee and the cigars, but it can be found in the whiskey. And that's what really complements them all together. So when you're doing it, and I remember this too, and another time we were together at the end show in uh, Las Vegas, I think you all had just re-released the uh, cigar malt, right? And this, That's right. There's a video of us having uh, some cigars on this uh, this patio overlooking Vegas, and I'll have to post this one too. It's, it's a lot of fun. But we tried that cigar with that malt, and it made a big difference. I mean, that cigar malt really does complement a nice cigar. Yeah, I mean, that, that again, we changed it over the years. But, you know, for the for, since we launched it in Vegas oh, uh, seven, eight years ago, mm -hmm. um, that is, you know, still 70% Oloroso Sherry Butts, 20% American White Oak, and 10% Cabernet Sauvignon from Shadow Haute Marbuzi in Saint Estève in Bordeaux. But it is a great assemblage, and it's coming in you know, at 44% alcohol. And therefore, when you smoke the cigar with that little extra alcohol, it's the perfect accompaniment with a great cigar and coffee, but a great assemblage. It's done exceptionally well. And even if you don't like cigars, that was our biggest problem when we originally brought the Grand Reserva out in America. People, sadly, thought we were actually maturing the Dalmore in tobacco leaves. It's a that's not how it works. So that's why we had to really ensure this assemblage, whether you like cigars or not, is a great drink uh, on its own too. How do you like to go back and forth? You have a, a puff of the cigar, some whiskey. How do you how do you balance all those flavors to make sure they're all coming in in a slow and thoughtful manner when you're doing it? Right. First of all, Tom, no question is what we did, and we've always done it together. You yeah. have to have great company, good company. Yes. People absolutely. with patience that like cigars, like coffee, like great whiskey. So what we do normally is pour a large measure of the Dalmore into a, a, a good glass or a lovely crystal glass, then have a sip of really great coffee without the cream, without the sugar, without the milk. Having a Two mouthfuls of that, two mouthfuls of that. And when you have the two mouthfuls of that, then take uh, a great mouthful of the Dalmore, hold it long in the mouth for at least 30 seconds, let that go over, and then have a bit of chocolate. And then mm. once that passes by, you'll see the combinations of the coffee, the, the whiskey, and of course, uh, you know, they, they really will amalgamate together, all three of them, and they'll come together absolutely perfectly. But don't hurry it. 
just just take your time uh, because when you come to a dinner what's the most important part well you're eating the food you can hardly talk but when you come to the cigars and the coffee and the whiskey that's a time to totally not to relax you need to take your time well it's exactly the same as that amazing so you for you you'll start with obviously great company and uh, and that's 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 a given which is always great and I, and by the way great company I love that you've that you've dressed up. It's so cool. We didn't even plan this. We both have a touch of pink on our uh, on our tie. <laughs> I keep on saying though, at some point when I show up, I'm going to wear a kilt and surprise you. But uh, so well, uh, you know, we used to wear the kilt, but you guys over in America always keep wanting to know what's underneath it. You know, that's a big problem. <laughs> so we'll do uh, we'll we'll do we'll draw in the cigar. We'll do a puff of that. It'll get on the palate. And then we'll do coffee walk, and then we'll do the Dalmore, 30 seconds, and then we'll do the chocolate. And then you'll go back and forth with those elements coming on the palate. Yeah, normally speaking, quite frankly, you know, the whiskey and the cigar is probably sufficient. The coffee tends to lead up to it. But remember, right. if it's a, like a Kahibi Kahibi Bahiki 56 or Particus number two or four, right. These are, these are good cigars are going to take a long time. So coffee by this time has got a bit colder. So that's why, you know, the whiskey and the cigars are just perfect accompaniments. But yeah. again, and what I repeat, it's about having the conversation to go with it. You must right. take your time and enjoy it slowly, slowly, slowly. Absolutely. No, that's that's so important. And we're big fans of the, uh, the cigar malt. All these, I know that... Uh, well, the first one I think we ever had was the King Alexander together, as we were talking about earlier. It was. And you are uh, any any new ones that we're going to be seeing coming from you uh, to help celebrate your. You, by the way, your fiftieth anniversary with uh, with, with the company. Dalmore White Mackay, yeah. Dalmore White Mackay. That's actually. I, I started in the uh, way back in nineteen sixty six when the Beach Boys were singing "God Only Knows." Mary Quant was having a mini skirt, you know, and many other. Great, I think President Johnson was uh, just, uh, you know, uh, your your seventeenth uh, or was it? No, not the thirty seventh president. I, I think, if I remember right. I remember. But anyway, you know, all these things going on in the swinging sixties, and it it was a good time. But yeah. uh, it, so so for fifty four years, yeah, I've seen many changes. But I must take my hat off. In nineteen ninety seven, we had the first whiskey festival in Germany, and then in nineteen ninety eight. In November, we moved over to New York, and from these whiskey festivals of 1998, really to the present day, that's what brought better awareness to Scotch whiskey, single malts, and even to the small batch bourbons. You know, the, the Jim Beams of this world. That uh, you know, you name it, they were they were all there at the whiskey shows, and are still going on to this very day. Well, you know, for, it's really cool because being in the whiskey business, you always obviously did follow Scotch. You followed other international whiskeys. You started in the, the 60s. What do you think really were the, for you, the key components of getting whiskey more popular in the late 90s leading up to today? What, what was the, the, the key ingredients that made that happen? When did you really recognize it? And, and tell us about that. Well, that's that's really people like yourself, Tom, who, you know, went on to go do the whiskey shows, did the, the uh, iPods and, you know, YouTubes and what have you. It was thanks to people like yourself that got out and really used the Internet. OK, there was magazines, there was books, 
There was all these kind of things going on. But it was actually communication with people in an easy manner, just like the same way as we're doing an easy manner right. over the phone uh, to connect up. And thanks to people like yourself, as I said, it brought a wider audience. But what it did do is it captured from America and then it went around the world. So when you go to like Shanghai, that's the last one, you know, uh, just last year, you know, we did Shanghai and, uh, you know, you're talking about 30, 30 odd thousand people attending the same in South Africa and what have you. These are big attendees yes. that are going and people not arriving in Zimmers, you know, they're not coming in their Zimmers anymore. These are young, uh, motivated, hungry, uh, innovative people that want to learn more about Scotch whiskey. And we have to feed them, not just with the standard blends or the standard single malts, but innovations that are going to capture their imagination. So the Delmore King Alexander with six different finishes that I showed you, I remember that at the time, was something new, something different. And that helped to bring awareness to the Delmore and, and many of our other expressions. Absolutely. And since that time, I mean, you've really grown... Um the types of expressions you've done and some of these expressions of, of scotch of what's the, I, and I kind of forget the record, but you helped set one of the records for one of the most expensive scotches ever. Is well, right? yeah. I mean, we, we had uh, for the Delmore uh, 62 years old, uh, a way back in 2002, uh, it was sold for around about $50,000 uh, here in the UK. And that was, you know, at that time it was unthinkable and it re made people realize for aged whiskies like the Dalmore 62 and then the Dalmore 64, that you know these whiskies existed. And just on that, when we talk about the Dalmore 64 years old, the Trinitas, only three bottles, uh, uh, two in America and one in London, they were sold originally around about the $200,000 in the U UK. But these bottles now are worth in the region of 1.3 to 1.5 million dollars uh, if you want to uh, try and acquire them now the sad thing for me wow. is as much as i love these whiskies uh, like the 64 all three bottles to this day have not been drunk now that's pretty sad because that is 1868 1878 1926 1939 but these are liquid history and when they go that will be the end of it but people are sitting on them these three people sitting on them, and uh, hopefully one day they will share that rare taste. But that's why they're worth that kind of value, that kind of money. It's pure liquid history that will never be repeated. It'll never be. And have you told them, hey, by the way, when you crack this open, call me up. Have you told them you want to hear it? Well, I, I, I actually say that when we're producing the Dalmore, you know, Dalmore 35, 40, 45, right. Dalmore 50, 51, and the 62, 64, you know, these are whiskeys that must be shared with people that you love, that you respect, because right. this is pure moments that in your life you will never forget. And, and I mean that seriously. You, you can't just open a bottle or crack a bottle open. You need to crack it open at the right time with the right people. And But really, it's something that... When you do open it and you taste it with all the lovely food, cigars, coffee, it's something that will remain in your life for the, permanently, you know? It will be something you couldn't. 
Absolutely. And the, you said the oldest one was 18, what was the age? 1800 something? Uh, the oldest one was 1868, 1878, 1926, 1939. These were the, all the years that were put into that assemblage way back. And we've got records you know, at the distillery when they were racked and we looked after them. You can imagine with having these whiskies of that age, the loss was huge. So we're luckily huge, we yeah. had quite a number that we could put together, but you know, only only three bottles were actually produced off that 64 at oh, the end. Wow. So again, that- uh, But all 100% all natural strength, natural color. And only three bottles were made. Only three bottles, that's it. With that yeah. And again, when you 1800s, there's not much whiskey. How much whiskey is left in the barrel at that time? I mean, how, how much are we talking? Well, about? that's why there was there was a that's why there was a few barrels, and mm -hmm. it was literally just just the remnants of it. And that's why the assemblage wow. had to be put together so that we could get the three bottles. But it does have you know uh little droplets little from drop. that from that particular era yeah so what is it so i mean you you put this together you tasted some of this really old 1800s what does the whiskey from the 1800s taste like because it's it had been aging for over 100 years right well no been aging but the assemblage had gone from one assemblage to another right. so there were only threads of it when i eventually got it together then you got it you together. Know, from the you know 1939 and all that so you know there's only connotations of that but what it did have was a little bit heavier. Obviously, the extraction of the wood had to be taken into account. But you know that the sherry notes and that sort of uh, balsamic that I talk about and the licorice, these are when notes of these rarities truly come through because only age can really open these kind of uh, flavors that are, are exceptionally rare. So that, that flavor that when you were putting these together that you tried... It's big, it's big with the barrel, it's big with all these notes, just amplified them. That's correct, because, you know, you get, when we talk about the DNA of the Dalmore being chocolate orange, you're talking about something, you know, with more fruitcake, more impact, but that will linger longer on the palate. And that's why for these rare whiskies, yes, you need to open the bottle, you need to chambray them, but then you need to let them open up completely and hold it long in the mouth at the right time, right place. That's really incredible. So uh, what you're making today to go onto the barrel to age for 10, 20, 30 plus years, this is some of the, really the same recipes that the company has always had, right? I mean, this is the same tradition. This is the same recipe, same DNA. Yeah, you're absolutely correct there because, wow. you know, Thomas, what we did originally when Andrew McKenzie, although we go back to 1839, Alexander Matheson got the whiskey un distillery underway. But when Andrew McKenzie arrived in 1867, he, in 1874, wanted to double the capacity of the distillery. But what he did was something different. He started to say, instead of having self-whiskies or new spirit, or as you guys call it, white duck, we want to mature our whiskies. And people used to say, what do you mean mature your whiskies? We want to let it mature for at least 12, 15, 20, 30 years. And everybody said during these early years, uh, what do you want to do there? What do you want to do that for? Because we've discovered by leaving the whiskies that a little bit longer, 
we're going to get the, the the rarities, the beauty of the whiskies to really shine through. Now, that was started in 1874. And when you think in uh, the 19th of May, 19th of May, 1915, the first whiskey was had to be matured by law for three years. By law, 1915, Andrew McKenzie was a way ahead of this game. And that's why when we took over, the McKenzies were there. And then I, I joined in 66. We had old stocks. And it was due to the policy that he had set down. So, you know, old whiskies like that are not readily available by every company. Only a handful today have these rarities. So we've made full use of it purely thanks to the, the fortitude of a guy like Andrew McKenzie. That's that's incredible. And it's it's so much fun talking whiskey with you in history. And, and let's talk about uh, what's happening right now since the COVID crisis, um, obviously affecting everyone in the world, affecting you on Scotland. What has uh, been the response of uh, White Mackay, the Dalmore, and how has it affected your all's business and, and what's going on? Well, it's obviously we feel that we're not alone uh, because all around the world we're suffering and what we are having to do is to make sure all our members of our staff as much as possible we can take good care of them and make sure they're you know it's not an easy job we're doing the best we can but we've had to obviously cease production um we are keeping our invergordon grain distillery moving because that's now producing millions of liters for sanitizers which we're supplying to the uk and further afield so we're doing our own particular contribution. And I know our parent company, they're doing exactly the same. So, you know, we're trying to do the best we can, but Dalmore will close. It's been closed for a few weeks now, but hopefully, really hope in the month of May, we can possibly get back. But, you know, like our bottling halls and everything else, it's not going to be a quick fix. These uh, bottling halls are going to have to take a number of weeks to get up to full production. So that's... A, quite a long way off. And even the office, we're going to have to take steps to make sure everybody's separated and sanitized in the right way. Protection is what it's all about during this very, very sensitive time. But we will resume and we'll get back to normality. But the burning question is, when will it happen? Everybody's asking the same question. And when it does happen, hopefully, you know, we'll recover in a good way. But it's going to take, maybe we won't be the same but hopefully Scotch whiskey will remain part of that. Scotch whiskey, well, it'll remain part of that. What have you What have you been up to since everything's been closed? Have you been doing some of the work from home? What have you been taking time to do since it's been closed? Uh, well, you know, we're, we're always looking long-term. So, you know, for the last, uh, you know, number of weeks, uh, the, the computer here has been uh, working flat out. Uh, we've got quite a number of, uh, uh, you know, programs that we're putting together right. we're still doing a lot of interviews and we're still you know making sure the stocks will be in place and right. trying to keep our many customers aware that as soon as things do get back to normal we'll be supplying them as best and quickly as possible it won't be as i say a quick fix but at least we're keeping in contact with them and trying to keep everybody happy not much more we can do from there because right. one of the interesting things you and i were talking about earlier was in most states and of course we have so many rules in the u.s there's so many different rules state by state in indiana where i am it was you could go into the liquor store for a while it's an essential business 
the liquor stores are still open in Indiana, but now I'm having to call ahead and having them deliver my liquor uh, street side, which is fine. We can do that. But from what I understand there in the UK, liquor stores have been closed. People are just buying it at the supermarkets. Is that right? You can, yeah, you can buy them still in the supermarket or right. you can go online. Remember, you cannot just get up and go to the supermarket and get a couple of bottles of wine or whiskey. That's not, uh, you're not dependent on that. So right. if you if you get caught, you can actually be fined. You have to contribute towards that with, you know, milk and essential in okay. you know, parts of your life. But again, I would say staying at home and, you know, really appreciating the NHS here. Well, sure. Uh, the health uh, service, right. which is under so much pressure. We're all trying to do our bit to to help sure. them. No, I understand that. So so in the UK, if, if I wanted to get a bottle of whiskey, I would need to be buying other groceries. And that's important. Yeah, uh, you, you really should, you know, because uh, but you can go certainly online. But the only thing is, you can imagine, like all the things that are online just now, right. the demand for it is huge. You're not going to get it straight away. These poor guys, deliveries or what have you, are going to be inundated. So you've got to be patient on, on that front. Hopefully, right. like you, Tom, you've got a few bottles of uh, few bottles Scott hiding, whiskey, yeah. the Dalmore, <laughs> in your cupboard. And, have a, uh, have a few hiding. A few um, yeah, and for those people, I mean, say, so with regard to your whiskeys, uh, very fine whiskeys, people are ordering them online now to be delivered in the UK. Are they getting harder to find or some of them getting a little bit more rare because people are rushing to get the fine ones online because they can't no, liquor no, stores? No, what you've got to remember, Tom, is that, you know, um, at this moment of time, a lot of people have been what we call furloughed. The government are right. trying to pay as much as they can. Right. Hopefully that will continue. Uh, but, you know, the outlook for money is uh, not as... Uh, confident as you can imagine therefore you know people are being very sensible yes at the beginning people went in bought a lot of beer whiskey wine at the very beginning but when they realized actually this is for long term that could be affected the money may not be as lucrative as it was at the present moment so people have been holding back a little and uh, you know that is our, our, our great concern and don't forget you know the travel the duty-free that's taking, you know, quite a pounding. Sure. And, you know, we really don't know how travel is going to get underway again. Right. You know, are we going to be allowed back on the plane or is it going to be, you know, temperature controlled as, or all these kind of things? It's still the unknown. So, yes, demand for whiskey is going on, but it's people are still very cautious and it's quite understandable. Well, sure, with how they're spending it. And duty-free is really something on our uh, series here we haven't really talked about. How, you know, thinking about short-term, long-term, even once people are traveling again, do you see duty-free in some of those special releases or just buying alcohol and duty-free at all? Is that something that you think will really be, even in a few months here, on the decline? What do you, what do you predict? I, I think, I think uh, you know, as far as, you know, travel is concerned, that is going to be severely restricted. And if it's restricted, that has to have and is at the present moment having a, you know, immediate impact right. on sales. You know, it doesn't matter if it's if it's if it's uh, liquor or perfume, things are going to be a little bit different. Sure. So we see more online sales taking place until we know 
that the safety measures that are definitely required for travel are once again reinforced. But more importantly, are we going to give that confidence back to the consumer? Right. Are you going to be feeling safe when you walk into a shop with somebody else or are we going to be restricted? These are some of the unknowns, but we'll get there, but it, it may take a little time. Well, and, and yeah, and you're 50 years in the business. And again, I probably should have asked this. When you got into the business 50 years ago, this September, September 14th is the anniversary. Um, how did you first get started? How did you first, I mean, was this something that was in the family or you just tell us the story? No, it, it was all to do with my father. Yeah. Uh, he had W.R. Patterson Limited. Uh, he was whiskey broker, well, like my grandfather. So I always say the same story, whiskey runs in my blood. I started uh, training with my father when I was eight years old. He gave me a drink and uh, at his bonded warehouses here in Glasgow. I only smelt it, but it was enough to get a cuff on the back of the head because it didn't smell it in the right way. So I, I learned the hard way. But what my father did was he said, you've got to have a passion for whiskey, but you've got to keep learning. So don't think it's going to come easy. And that's why I studied not only whiskey, I studied wine as well. Because my first job, yes, at a company that owned Glen Scotia Distillery in Campbellton, he got me the job. And everybody used to say in the staff, you say, let's face it, Richard, you only got this job because of your, your poshy father. You know, and I went, well, yeah, maybe that's right. So I was determined to, you know, do my own thing, learn more about uh, wine spirits, everything about it. And that's why I've always gone by the saying, knowledge is power. When the executive stops learning, he's finished. And it, I, I would say that, but more than anything, you have to have a passion. You know, passion about anything elevates the soul to achieve greater things. And hopefully, you know, over the last 50 years, I've seen a lot of changes. But my passion for whiskey, uh, innovating and trying to produce the very best blending whiskies as well as single malts has never, never diminished. It's all about, and, you know, being, talking to you and seeing somebody like yourself, you know, and the consumers that listen into your program, that's what it's about. Because if you can pass on that passion and drink whiskey in the right way through the good times and through the bad times that we're possibly suffering just now and share with the people you love, that's all that matters. That's what really matters. And I was going to say, you know, it's uh, Richard, I think whiskey has kept you young in many ways. Uh, it, and it, and the passion that you have for it has kept you young. I mean, you're someone that everyone I talked to, it was just recently in DC, someone talked about seeing your presentation and how amazing it was. And just, you know, people really enjoy your passion, your presentations, and your passion for whiskey is infectious and it's been inspiring to me as well. Well, you know, thanks very much, Tom. But you know, it, it is such a great, great program. Okay, you've got American whiskey, you've got your bourbons, your small batches and everything else. But Scotch, you know, it goes around the world in such a small place like Scotland, yet it can bring awareness to so many things. Our beautiful cities in Glasgow, Edinburgh, and the beautiful islands, the highlands, you name it. And, you know, over 2 million people now come. Uh, okay, that's been set back, but... You know, the enthusiasm. I mean, these uh, whiskey festivals, you should see the people. You've seen them yourself. They're so enthusiastic. They want to learn more. But you've got to give them that information to show that whiskey is different, but it has to be revered and it has to be respected. Absolutely. And we've always been fans of Scotch whiskey on the bourbon blog. 
I'm especially a fan of the Dalmore and of yours, Richard. For those people that are watching us, you know, there's a lot of fans that are big bourbon fans watching this. And, um, you know, maybe some of them are younger. They haven't tried as much scotch. Give us your, I mean, basically your persuasion, your, your, uh, your argument for why bourbon lovers who haven't tried scotch should try scotch. Well, let me, first of all, assure you that, you know, bourbon is great. You've got your own bourbons. I'm not going to, I think, I think they're all great in many right. respects. So, you know, bourbon, bourbon, scotch is scotch, but right. you know, like the versatility, you've got blended whiskeys, you've got blended malts and you've got single malts. You've got single malts that you don't often see with bourbon going up to, as I say, the Dalmore, 64 years old, you know, 62, 51, 50. These are rarities. These are rare yeah. beauties. Yeah, quite expensive. But nevertheless, you can go down, you know, to the, the, the sort of younger whiskies, the non-age, like the cigar malt, and the 12 and 15-year-old are more very accessible and, you know, no problem on, on that front. So it's all about taking your time, but really giving it the time. It matures all these 15 years. Give it all the 15 seconds, etc. I love it, man. And I, and I think that there's so many bourbon drinkers and whiskey drinkers that are very open to trying new things. And definitely, if you've not tried any of them, which I think a lot of people watching have, but if you haven't tried any of the Dalmore, uh, definitely try the Dalmore. It's such a beautiful scotch. There is this beautiful DNA as you've said before, those chocolates, the, the oranges, even on the finish of this one, I get so many buttery, just luscious notes from this 18 year old. It's just, it's so pleasant. It's so, um, it's so incredible. Um, as, as you look forward, I mean, so we've talked about looking forward a little bit. Um, what do you think this period of time, COVID, the coronavirus, will it do anything on long-term on how we tell the story of whiskey, of how we appreciate it, of, of what we drink, or, or just even the whiskey festivals. I mean, is it going to change the landscape of how we get together and enjoy this? And, and if so, what, what do you think it'll do? Not, 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 re not really, but what, what COVID-19 has done is perhaps uh, made us appreciate our home. It's yeah. made us appreciate you know, the older people that are vulnerable, right. uh, but it's appreciated time. You know, we've had the time, those that don't have gardens, have only apartments, one, one you know, bedroom apartments. Time has meant something, but perhaps a lot of the people have looked at whiskey that have been, you know, enjoying it in a different way. They've taken their time and really looked deeply into whiskey, perhaps for the first time. I've already heard right. that people have said, well, because I've only got the one bottle, I might not get it again. I'm going to savor this. And, you know, every night after dinner with their wife, respective partners or what have you, they brought out the bottle. They've only taken so much because they want to spread it out. But they said, you know, all these nuances you're talking about, 26 different nuances, the flavors you keep talking about. Gee, I never knew they were there. I've discovered for the first time they are there. But more importantly, I'm really enjoying it. I'm really enjoying the individual character of single malt and what it's about. Right. These are times where we can have the time to enjoy those nuances, remind ourselves of how important it is. I, I think that's uh, so important. So uh, 50 years, September, any any other new releases you can give 14th. us? 14th. They're 14th of September. Any new releases coming? Anything you're working on that you can give us a little hint of? Uh, we yeah, we, we've, uh, <laughs> we've got quite a number coming up because, uh, as you can imagine, 
we're always thinking way ahead 10 years. So right. we have got a number, but I can't reveal them all just now. But I can assure you, you know, the, the sort of uh, meticulous attention that we pay to all our whiskies are done in exactly the same way with these releases coming up. Because, you know, when we're using port or sherry and wine or what have you, it does take a long time, but we will only release them when the time is right and right. Uh, when they can be fully appreciated. Well said. Well, we'll look forward to the new releases when they're available. Until then, uh, we'll be toasting to you and your 50th uh, anniversary, Richard. Thank you so much for joining us here on uh, our quarantine drinking team series on Bourbon Blog and uh, Slan Javan. We'll make sure we hold it. you to you. And all your friends in America, please stay safe, stay well. Stay safe and stay well. Thanks, Richard. Cheers, buddy.